Okay, welcome to the Punch Touch Podcast. Real fans, real talk. We dissect, dive deep and discuss juicy bits of gossip and news from the world of boxing and MMA. I'm Coach T, I'm your host and welcome to a crazy ride of adventure. Real fans, for the fans. Let's go! Hey, it's the Punch Touch Podcast. It's the Punch Touch Podcast. Welcome, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of Punch Touch Podcast. Yes, and this is once again a Warrior special. This is, is this, I'm not even sure if this is the first Warrior special of the year. It might not be, but nevertheless, a Warrior special is special. When we talk about Warriors. You don't have to put your fist in someone's face. You don't have to put your, your knee in someone's stern, sternum and get paid for it to be a warrior. It takes a lot more than just physical attributes to have a warrior's spirit and a survival spirit. It takes a lot more than that. And we're going we're gonna to dig deep today and explore that. This warrior special is called Surviving the Switch. Yes, surviving a switch. You probably won't know what the hell Coach T is talking about, but if you carry on listening to this through your ear canal, you will be brought to a world of ups and downs, achievements and tragedies. It's, this is it's a beautiful story. Um, before we get to our special, our special, special guest, let me introduce the co-host, Farmer. Welcome, brother. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Well, welcome back for a special today, and I'm um, looking forward to it. And um, let's get ready to rumble. Yes, yes, yeah. And you know what? The words that you've said there are so apt, because as, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm in a boxing club. I'm in, a, I'm in the office of an amateur boxing club as I record this. So, yeah, let's get ready to rumble. Honestly, you, you couldn't even make that up, what you've just said there, Farmer. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Our guest... Our guest today is Simon. Is it Rutter or Ruta? How do you pronounce that, Simon? Reuter. Reuter. There we go. That yeah. sounds a bit royal. Simon <laughs> Reuter. Simon Reuter. Welcome, brother. And thank you. Thank you very much for your time and attention to, to, to give us today. Because I, I know you're a busy guy. Everyone's got life. Everyone's balancing life and, and doing multiple. Thank you for your time, brother. Sure. Yes, hello, thank you. It's my pleasure. Excellent, excellent. So, um, first of all, I mean, Simon, you're you're an author, you're you're a survivor, you're a thriver, not just surviving, you thrive. Um, you've achieved many, many things that like like human beings that don't have any form of obstacles have not done what you've done in your lifetime i would i would almost call you a thrill seeker to be honest <laughs> i would an extreme an extreme thrill seeker and why not this is life why not simon i mean first of all could you just um just introduce yourself to those that have pressed play and just a bit about simon like who are you and what's made you you yeah sure um i'm simon uh, I'm 51 now. It's a bit of a miracle I got to 51 in a way. Um, I guess, but it doesn't make me, a, as a person, 
But the main thing about this is that I had a... I was born with a heart condition, a very major heart condition. Um, and it meant my arteries were all the wrong way round. So they still did that, and the operation I had to have it done was called a switch. And that's where they switched the arteries round. Um, it was quite a groundbreaking operation at the time. And if I hadn't done it, if I hadn't had it done, I probably wouldn't have got past 12 years of age. Um, and then, yeah, go on. Simon, how old was you when they done this groundbreaking, uh, groundbreaking operation on you? How old was you, mate? I was four years old, so that was January. No, sorry, I'm going to write February the twenty fourth, nineteen seventy six. Wow. So, not done too badly, really, considering. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I was okay. I was okay for quite a few years, and thankfully, my mum and dad never wrapped me up in cotton wool, and I've got three wonderful brothers who I was kicked out the house with to to, to play and fight and climb trees and all sorts of things. So it was, yeah, it was, I was treated as normal. It was just amazing. And I think that's helped me carry on with the life that I've had of, of, of yeah, so much interesting stuff, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Simon. Um, I mean, um, you also, I mean, as we, as we start, as you've, you've given everyone an insight to like four years old, um, having this, this very intrusive surgery at four years old. I mean, you're not even formed yet. Like your palm of your hand hasn't even formed yet, let alone your immune system. And now you have to battle um, with having your, was it, did they, did they go through via the chest? Did they open up oh, your God, chest yeah. cavity? Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've had my chest cavity opened up four times over the last 51 years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, but yes, they did, sorry, when I was four. When I was um when I was three weeks old, I had a feeding problem. I couldn't keep stuff down. So they were very concerned. So they did a special test, and actually, I, during that test, I suffered a cardiac arrest. So obviously, they managed to get me back. So it was then that they discovered there was something wrong with my heart. So uh, yeah, so that was that was all at about three or four weeks old, I think. You were fighting. You were fighting from from three or four weeks old. You were fighting. You had to be a warrior. I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I mean, have you not? I, I believe you set a precedent of of you the you the longest surviving person of this surgery, ain't you? Yeah, I believe so. Again, you know, it's. I know there were a few operated on with this procedure before me, but I don't think any of them have lived longer than I have. Um, I was chatting with my consultant a few years ago after my surgery in 2016, and he was sort of saying, no, we don't, we, we don't believe there is. So, um, yeah, that, that's massively powerful. That's really humbling, really humbling for me. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I know, I know at the time in 76, a lot of it, they were winging it, actually winging it, you know. So um, I guess I have to give a shout out to uh, Mr. Donald Ross, who was my surgeon. What well, a legend. I was going to say, oh. Simon, um, just listen to you first in the first couple of minutes of this interview. Um, you seem very an upbeat character. Where does that come from? Um, I think because it's not just heart. As I grew up, I was very ill when I was 11 years very ill with eczema. I horrendous eczema. Um, that was for about a year. And then when I was about 14, I was suffering from pitto asthma. I had about 40 admissions over two years. 
Um, and then, since then, I've got something called bronchiectasis. It's a lung condition. I had cataracts in my eyes, and I've had surgery for those. So, so, so I just think with all that, and coming from my childhood, is that you just know how how short life is. You'll get to appreciate it. Uh, and, how, and how fragile and delicate it is. I think one of the other major um, contributors, or one of the other major reasons, is that I, I actually have a sister, and she died about four months before I was born. Uh, she was three and a half, I think, and she was born with exactly the same heart condition as I got. Um, they operated her on her when she was three and a half, but worse luck, a couple of days after the operation, she developed clots and, and she died. So I, I certainly don't sort of say, oh, I'm living my life for Sally, but I certainly feel like I'm, I'm the lucky one and therefore I need to make the most of my life sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, sorry, go on, Farmer. Go yeah, on. I was just... I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a spellbound and taken back because you, you're a very chirpy character. And obviously, by explaining your sister's um, unfortunate demise, you've taken up the mantle to say, hey, you know, I've got to give a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. I'm going to take yeah, yeah, yeah. the opportunity of this because um just want to, for the viewers, um, Simon has written a book. I'd like you to in let the, um, the listeners know a little bit about your background to your book. I've written, please. Yeah, um, so I travel a lot. It is my absolute passion. I love it. But obviously, quite often, my, my health can affect my travels, and my travels can also affect my health. Well, I used to come back to these things, and I used to sit and tell people the, the stories of what had happened. Um, and people say, oh, you should write a book about that. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then in 2011, I went to... He was a Trans-Siberian Express. I'd always wanted to do it. And I flew over to Vladivostok, and it's the most expensive and furthest weekend trip I've had. Well, I've met you gone for six Sorry, weeks. Sorry, you that again? Sorry, son, where did you go? Uh, I, I was going to be able to do the Trans-Siberian Express. So it's a railway across Russia. Okay. All the way across, about 9,000 kilometres, I think. So it takes about, I was going to take six weeks out to do it. Um, <laughs> wow. But I only lasted three days. So I flew all the way over to Vladivostok, that's the other side of Russia. And within sort of, within eight hours of being there, my heart started playing me up. So I, I, I tried to ignore it for 24 hours, but it was still playing me up a bit. And I thought, I can't risk ending up in Siberia with my heart playing me up. So I came home. And at that point, I thought, right, do you know what? I really want to write about that because that is just a really good example of taking a risk and actually it all going a little bit wrong. But you still took that risk. Um, so, yeah, so I just started writing about that. And then I just started writing about other stuff from my childhood and growing up. Now, whether it be my asthma, my eczema, my heart, or whether it be stuff I used to do out and go out and do with my brothers, um, and all that sort of thing. And it was amazingly cathartic, really cathartic, just a, a, extremely emotional at times, really emotional at times. But it just made me feel, I don't think it helped me realise exactly how much I'd been through, but actually how much I don't let it stop me. 
And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why the book is called What is Life Without Risk? And it's like a question. And actually, my, my answer to that question would be boring. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I agree. I agree, mate. Yes. But I'm going to say something. For all that Lambeth of, of going through all those trials and tribulations, you seem to have, when you, um, you've got all this innate built inside you, how to regulate it. An example, you went to the deepest forest part of the USSR, but in your, <laughs> in your DNA, you knew, you knew when to stop and come home. You know it's the risk. You yeah. Regulate. Where does the self-regulation come in there? Oh, God. Um, I'm not always great at that, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think... Um, oh, God. I, I, ended, I went to... Sorry, I've just gone off on a tangent slightly, but just to yeah. explain. I went to America for six weeks. We went and did a road trip, me and my friend signed Kaz. <laughs> um, but... I think it was about six months before it. It was about a year after my mum had died. My heart was playing me up. It was it was going into what they call um, atrial flutter. So it kept on going fast. So they tried correcting that and it didn't work. And it was getting closer and closer to me going away. Um, and then, <laughs> two weeks before I was meant to be going away, my right lower lobe of my lung collapsed. <laughs> so, oh, mate. Oh, come on. You couldn't make that up. No, you couldn't. Wow. I know. Well, actually, that's the interesting bit. Is a lot of the book is like you can't, you can't make it up. It's just yeah. So, so in the end, they they took me into hospital for a week and they did um, all sorts of procedures and everything to try and sort it out, but it didn't reinflate. Um, and they said, "Look, I guess guess you you can't go really." And I went, "Well, I am." So we did. So, and actually, all it all went okay. It was it was it was hard work. So I guess, but going back to the Vladivostok, it's really weird because it was something my dad said because I was so, so determined to carry on and get across Russia. But, but one of the things my dad said before I left was, don't listen to your head, don't listen to your heart, listen to what your body's telling you. And at that point and at that time, my, my body was saying, we can't do this. It's not a question of don't take the risk. We can't do it. And I think that was where it was like, oh, trust me, Oh, God, I was tearful. I was absolutely gutted. I'd hit 40 that year. And in my brain, it was like, oh, God, I'll never travel again. That's it. I'm old. My health can't take it. You know, it's my lungs. It's my me, me heart and all this sort of stuff. And my eczema gets really troublesome when I travel sometimes. So, yeah, so I was gutted. But I knew I knew I couldn't risk ending up in the middle of Russia with my, my heart in atrial flutter and racing along. So, yeah, 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 yeah. There are times when I'm able to go, actually, that is too far. Yeah. <laughs> not, not often enough, maybe, sometimes. So. I've got another question. I mean, it might, yeah. um, it's a little bit of a pressing question, but so I, I'm, I'm, I believe in yin and yang and a night follows day type guy. Um, within this travel, and you know, the exuberance you're showing through, 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 through our microphone, where there's a positive, there's always a negative. Has this affected your relationships going forward, or Mister, you know, your partner? Has that, because of all these elements you've had, is that given an effect on your relationships and going forward? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I talk about it a little bit in the book, 
And that is the fact that I haven't actually got a partner. I haven't I haven't had a partner for a good few years, to be honest with you. And again, you know, part of me is like, well, yeah, maybe I wish I did. But that's also part of me that's like, yeah, but I can go travelling when I like, <laughs> go where I like at the moment. But I, I think a lot of that goes back to, and again, as I said, it's in the book, about how when I was a teenager, I was so ill that I didn't socialise. I didn't go out. I didn't do things where you you meet people and you talk and you you form relationships. And therefore, I think it's always something, I don't mind saying this, it's something that I've always struggled with a bit. Now, I've got loads, really good mates, and, and, and a lot of those are female, and that's wonderful. But I think going back to my adolescence, I think it's I just struggle with that next step. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah it does. It does. But, but but that's not to say that I don't receive a lot of love. It's a different. I know it's a very different type. Yeah. But I got I got three brothers, my nieces and nephews, and 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 their partners who I know just just give me so much love and care. I mean, I, I I've always said my three brothers are, are like my best mates. They really are. So you, yeah, you, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, you've mentioned uh, through this interview. You've because the next question I said, do you feel left out? But obviously, you've just answered that. Uh, um, have your family supported you? It seems an obvious question, but you, have your family supported you through your journey? And what way have they supported you? We, um, it's an odd one, really, because obviously with, with, with Sally dying, obviously with the fact that I went through a lot when I was a baby and then a toddler, and then when I was between 14 and 16 with my asthma, my brothers were never quite sure if I was going to be coming home from hospital because I was that bad. Um, so I think in a way, all of us have always walked side by side with death, if you get what I mean. That might sound a bit dark. Mm. And all four of us got a very, very dark sense of humour. God, we can absolutely rip it out of each other. And sometimes I'll, I'll have, I quite like holding barbecues for my mates on a, in a summertime sort of thing. And um, obviously me and my brothers, we've taken the mickey out of each other and all this. And you can see some people going, I'm really not sure they should be saying that to each other. Do they actually like each other? But that is how we've managed so much. We have, and it is. And it's. And then and I think because there's four of us, one of the reasons we've never fallen out at all is because if two are having a bit of a disagreement, the other two step in and go, yeah, right, that's enough now, and help sort it out. So, but, but no, I do. I'm, I'm very lucky in that sense, I think. Mm. But I, 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 I'd, I'd echo that luck that you've kind of made that luck yourself, to be honest. Um, especially, it resonated with me when um the farmer asked you such a, like, first of all, thank you for, for asking that question, that personal question about your own relationship, mm. navigating the the crazy world of relationships. I mean, let alone. <laughs> let alone being dealt uh, a funky hand of cards before you've even reached one month old. It's just like relationships is a thing, is a minefield, especially in this modern age of internet. So I'm not even going to go there. But <laughs> Yeah, the, that all confuses me. <laughs> it, it, it does, it does. And it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's noble, it's glorious, but at the same time, when I say it's noble and it's glorious, it's the warrior's path. When you... When you have um, committed a lot of your well-being to, to overcome mountains, hills, obstacles, humps, it does, it can leave one 
lonely at times sometimes because only I mean only you know you to be honest mm. and 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 what you've gone through what you're I mean, we're all wired up differently. I, I think we can agree with that. We're all wired up differently. And what makes us different is our life experiences, whether that be good, bad, or ugly. And sometimes that could leave one lonely. Even if you've accomplished so much, sometimes it's lonely at the top of accomplishment, in, no matter what type of field that is. Yeah, there, there are times, of course, there are, when, when I'm sat in a hospital or I'm at home sometimes, that it's just, it's just not... I could talk to my brothers about anything and everything, but it's a question of not having someone there to turn around to and go, I'm feeling a bit crap today or a bit rubbish today or, do you know what I mean? Or, or I, you know, I've still got quite a lot of issues going on health-wise and a couple of new ones that are cropping up. And just, there's not anyone... What do I can my brothers and say, and some friends, there's no one there who's intimate to bounce that off of and to talk to and to reassure and care for me in that sense. So there are times when, when, when I think it would be nice. So, yeah, I think that's, that's the sort of time when it really does... I don't think it gets to me, but it does... It, well, yeah, it does. It, maybe it does a bit. It does get to me a bit. Yeah, so, can I, can, sorry, can I mention something? Just, yeah. just what, you said, what you said there, Simon. Um, influence, leading by example. Like, example is basically you you leading the way of what you want to see. For example, when I say leading by example and influence, if you want to see more support in the world, then usually people gravitate to jobs that are supporting roles. <laughs> like if you, yeah, I'm being real, man. Honestly, I, no, no, it, no. I, do, I do it myself. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Simon, you know where I'm going with this. And it's like, yeah. it, it's, 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 excuse my language, but it's fucking beautiful to hear when instead of you complaining about what there ain't enough of, instead of you moaning about what there ain't enough of, you become what the thing is that ain't enough of. And that leads to Simon, you've just got a new job and whatever you can speak about your job, what is your job? Who are you supporting, Simon? Because you, you mentioned about support for you. Who are you supporting? Well, well I, I've, I've been an adolescent psychiatric nurse now for about 20 years, 21 years, I think, now. I was, um, I was a children's nurse first. What I think that's a result of me being so institutionalised, to be honest with you. I spent half my childhood in an adolescent in hospital, and then I trained to be a nurse to stay in the hospitals. You got the T-shirt, Simon. You got the T-shirt. You got the hoodie. You got the trousers. You got the socks. You got the briefs, mate. I've even got a tie. <laughs> oh, bless you, mate. Yeah, I was a children's nurse for six years, and, and I absolutely, absolutely loved it. But part of that was that we used to have. Um, Adolescents coming, obviously, who would who with mental health problems, all sorts of things, and I, I, I just clicked with it, and I thought I really like this area a bit, um, and and it took me a little while and a little bit of battling, but in the end, I managed to get a job on uh, on adolescent psychiatric unit. What I did for twenty years, and absolutely loved it, absolutely loved it. So, yeah, it was fantastic, great job, and as you say, it's about giving back to other people, and that it is, it's just so rewarding. And actually, I think one of the other reasons why I'm trying not to blow my trumpet too much here, but one of the reasons I was I tended to click a lot with adolescents is because of what I went through as a teenager. I understand what it's like to have a really shit adolescence. 
Yeah. Whether it be mentally or physically, it doesn't matter. If you, you're still you, having your adolescence taken away from you, it's crap. Because you, you, you appear as you have the purview of the whole thing, don't you? You've got the authority in, in a sense that to have an understanding. But this comes back now. It's great having that understanding. You clearly have a very compassionate heart, um, Simon. You know That's an ironic one, isn't it? So, sorry. <laughs> what are you saying know, now? Sorry. It's always, it's all about the heart. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I apologise. Yeah, but you you do. You're very caring, aren't you? You can clearly see that you're caring. You're as we mentioned earlier earlier on gratification. I mean, your gratitude to be alive and your gratitude to you probably look at the world a little bit different to most people. Saying, "What are you complaining about? God, just try to get on with it. Try to enjoy each other." Um, as yeah. you mentioned earlier on, if your brothers are arguing, you're you know you probably I imagine you're probably one of the four. I would say. Come on, guys, let's love each other and let's 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 <laughs> sit her down and we can resolve this tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that's that's, yeah. Sort as of happens. As you've mentioned, you, you, you've mentioned your family and your friends. Obviously, they mean a lot to you. And it sounds through the um, through the microphone again that you absolutely, really, not just saying it, you actually enjoy the care inside of your job. How? What made you get into this job, and was how did you stumble across being 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 a nurse? Um, oh well, I totally think it was to do with the fact that I spent so much time in hospitals as an adolescent, and my mum was a children's nurse. Okay, and therefore I could see how rewarding it was. Now, the other thing that I was said there were three nurses, and I will never forget them. They are on a pedestal to me. They were amazing. And that's uh, called Carolyn, Denise, and Dawn. And I will never forget them because I think I took something from each one of them and knew and, and just seeing them. Because I, I tell you what, it's, it's very much how I do my nursing. And that is the fact that you acknowledge that life can be really shit, but somewhere in amongst all this crap, we can laugh. And I think that's another thing the adolescents click into is that you're by their side rather than trying to push them along. And these three nurses were brilliant at that. They were always very professional, um, but they could make you laugh in amongst all the really difficult stuff that was going on. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that demonstrated to me just how rewarding and, and, and all that sort of stuff the nursing can be. So I went and, I went and tried a couple of things first. I, um, I worked at the Bristol Old Vic for two years when I was 16 to 18 because... Um, I thought I wanted to work in the theatres, but I hated it, to be honest with you. So, so, young... Simon, so, so say that again. You worked in the, the, the Bristol, Bristol Vic Theatre. Okay, and, and what, 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 they, um, what did they produce? Just, it's just like theatrical stuff type of, what was it? What was it, oh, like God, traditional? Yeah, it's, the, you know, it's the main theatre in Bristol. Well, some would say the Hippodrome, but I'd say the Bristol Old Vic. So. <laughs> yeah. But, um, what, was your, what, was your, what was your role there, Simon? Well, like, was, what was, was your was role? Now, this shows my age. I was on what they call a youth training scheme. Yeah, YTS. Yeah. YTS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You remember them? Yes, of course oh. I do, mate. <laughs> oh, oh, so I was trying to do lighting and sound because that was the stuff that I was really interested in. Um, mm. But to be honest with you, I spent two years changing plugs, changing light bulbs. If you want a light bulb change, I'll come round. But um, I'm basically treated like a skivvy, so... It completely put me off it. Um, but but one of the other things, so I left there and I actually went back to college when I was 18. 
And because I delayed college by two years, I was actually in the same year as my brother's, my youngest brother's friends. So it was very strange. But Ooh. I absolutely loved it. Filton College was amazing. It really did. It opened my eyes and it allowed me to be me and not ill mean, like I've been for so long sort of thing. So um, I can't remember your question now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just asked um, role. Was it was it farmer's question or my question? Was it farmer's? Oh, no, that's right. Why did I get into nursing? Yeah, that's right. Yes, so, there you go. And then, and then, to be honest with you, really, with me, it was either going to be theatre or nursing. So, obviously, I tried the theatre, didn't like it. So, so I went into nursing. You know, I just find it exceptionally rewarding. Probably some of it is about wanting to give something back. Mm. Um, part of it is the fact that I've got a great understanding of what it's like to be in and in hospital. It's, it's all that stuff. It's all that stuff. So I um, <laughs> I get myself into trouble sometimes because I say that um, that to go to nursing is terribly egotistical and self-centred. Uh, most people say, oh, how can you say that about nursing? The reason people go to nursing is because they like the reward. And therefore, oh. it's all about them. <laughs> <laughs> mate, mate, wait a minute. Let me just, let me just echo. I've never looked at it like that before. You know, I don't get myself the reason, trouble for that one. <laughs> the reason why people go into nursing is because it's so self-rewarding and it's about them. Oh, That's man. It. <laughs> yeah, I I do get shaped when I say that, but, but I think there is an element of truth in that. You know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not really saying that nurses are egotistical or self-centred, but actually, in a sense, there is an element of it because why do we do it? Because we like feeling good when we help other people. <laughs> and it, and it, and when you think about it, you know what? Is that a problem? If if it, if you get no. a benefit out of it, and whoever you help gets a benefit out of it, is that a problem? It sounds like win-win to me. That, I yeah, think I, that, that, I'm that, that, that to me, Simon, that sounds like the definition of happiness. That's the nurse in it. I'm, so, I'm trying to bail Simon out here, guys. Right. Uh, <laughs> no. Happiness and human, human value. But... I'll, I'll accept your bucket <laughs> and I will bail myself out. <laughs> no, but it, it, it does make sense though. Come on, it makes sense. Let's be real. Like reality. Like you have to whatever you do, whatever you do, you're gonna exchange, you're gonna interact with something, whether that's whether that's yourself or yeah. other people. And in that interaction, if there is a win-win, if there's a value for both parties that interact, whether that's your consciousness and your subconsciousness, or you and another human being, that's a win-win, man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. But, but, I, but I also think that, especially with any, any job like that, is that if you, if you aren't getting those rewards for whatever reason, then that's when the job becomes difficult and that's why people leave. Because, you know, they, they don't get whether that be because there's, be careful what I say, because there's not enough staff and you're rushing around and you haven't got time to give to the patients or all sorts of things like that. There's so many and it's just, you just don't get the rewards. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me. But I mean, how many, you know, when you've got organisations like certain schools, certain um, organizations that have a high turnover of staff is because they don't feel rewarded. And that's the yeah. truth. And, and when you get rewarded, if I get rewarded, like I'm a boxing coach, I do that 
to help other people, but it's for me as well. Like it's for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like doing it. <laughs> I need to get. I need to get something out of it. <laughs> you oh, know. You're so self-centered. <laughs> Simon, Simon. Let's get self-centered. Like, like I'm going to jump in on that one, the self-centered. Like self-centered mixed with a little bit of the lazy gene because we are human beings. And we, oh, yeah. When did you start to... Because I imagine Simon, everyone said, when are you going to write this book? When, you, when did Simon decide to put pen to paper or finger to what? the keyboard? When did you decide yeah, to what? write this venture? It was when I got back from Vladivostok and I just thought, I, I just thought because when I used to work on the adolescent unit, I used to tell my stories and some of them would be about my house and some of them would be about my travels because I knew it, it gave them a bit of inspiration and they appreciated it. But quite often they turn around and go, oh, you, you need to write about this. And of course, in my head, I'm going, why would I do that? Who'd read that? And then when I got back from Vladivostok, I just wanted to write it. So I did. And I wrote about that. And I thought, what's oh, that's really good. That's quite nice. So then I carried on writing. I think the next thing I wrote about actually was about my eczema when I was a teenager. That was really difficult to write about. It was very traumatic. And then I found that part of it cathartic, you know. Um, and then I thought, well, hang on a minute. So I kept writing. I think it was only about... That started in 2011. I think it was like six years ago when I thought, you know what? I'm going to bloody publish this. So, so it took a few more years. And um, there you go. But the ironic thing is, is that all the stuff I wrote, I wrote about, oh God, here we go, 247,000 words. <laughs> how, so, so, how, say that again. Say that again, Simon. I wrote 247,000 words. 247,000 words. Yeah, I believe that's war and peace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the so Bible, isn't it? That's the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, um, so what, what I've had to do is, is, is just is end this, this book, What Is Life Without Risk, ends uh, 2011, 2012, just before I had my heart surgery in 2012. So the second book is about my heart surgery in 2012 and 2016. And how I deal with the, the, the run-up to those and this sort of stuff and the emotions and the fear, the real fear and the terror, in fact, at times. Uh, the second operation we cancelled twice and that just completely lost me. Um, so, yeah, so I've written a lot about that's, that's the next one, but I'm not quite sure when that's, that's going to be out. But, um, but yeah, so it, I, I, just, I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. You know? And I've, I've always said, I'm sure you agree, I believe everyone's got a story in them. Mm. I've yes. always been through something or experienced something or done something that they could write. It might not be a full whatever memoir type thing, but there's always stuff about people that they could write. You know? I mean, I'm going to say something. I'm intrigued. Where have you been? Can you tell the viewers the beautiful, exotic places? Uh, uh, people uh, dark, dingy, fucking bars and whores and <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's, that's uh, that, that, yeah, farmer, you're, you're making Simon sound like a pirate like horror is a pirate being from Brazil my dabber oh god uh, some of the things I've done is I did I went but the first time I went travelling was when I was 26. I think that's, a, that's about the only regret, really, I have in my life, because I don't believe in them, really. But I wish I'd started travelling earlier. 
but I was too anxious and too nervous regarding my health. Um, and then I believe, I think it was my granddad died, so she left us a little bit of money. And I thought, right, I'm going to go travelling. So I went as far away as I could, and that was New Zealand. Wow, oh, New Zealand. Okay. Yeah, oh, unbelievable place. So I went to New Zealand for three months and travelled around it. I did a tandem skydive. Um, it was just amazing. But I also did three bungee jumps. <laughs> three bungee jumps, Simon? Yeah, I, I did oh. it on. I, I did the first one on July the third, and that was exactly ten years after my heart surgery in nineteen eighty seven. Was it? Was I, it? Was that like an anniversary thing, or, or what was yeah. the trigger for that? No, I've always wanted to do it. It just looked like the ultimate adrenaline thing. Mm. But my cardiac consultant was not happy. She told me I must not do it. Not surprised, Simon. Not surprised. She said we don't know the effects on a normal heart. Never mind yours. And. I, I don't know. I, I, again, I've always always said this. There is a very fine line between brave and stupid, and I think that day I crossed the line to stupid. <laughs> but did you enjoy it? About, there, there's a few times I've crossed that line, but oh my god, it was amazing. The buzz. I walked around like I had a coat hanger in me mouth for about a week afterwards. It was just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> oh, it's just so we've got yeah. New Zealand where. You, so you've got the deep, furthest south you can go. So make your way back on this lovely journey from New Zealand back to the UK, either the Atlantic side or South Pacific side, which just go through more countries. I'm intrigued to know where you've been. Uh, I've been to Madrid and I went with two of my friends, Sai and Kaz, and we went to learn how to free fall, skydive. Wow. We had lessons in it. So you've got to... 12 and a half thousand feet and jump out of the plane with someone holding on to you. You're not strapped to anyone. And you have seven lessons. And if you pass all the lessons, you're a qualified skydiver. Yeah. However, I didn't pass all the lessons. Um, uh, yeah, my health did get the better of me there. Because um, I was actually... <laughs> I'm on warfarin as well at the moment. Do you know what warfarin is? In the blood, yeah, yeah, so it basically it slows the clotting down for the blood. Mm. So, of course, the real worry was that I'd land heavily and, and seriously injure myself or it could hit my head when I land and this sort of stuff. I was supposed to, oh, it's just, I was supposed to fill in a medical form and give it to the guy who was running it. And I just pretended I'd accidentally left it at home because my oh. doctor wouldn't sign it. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I still, yeah. You know, again, it's that fine line between stupid and brave. But honestly, oh, there was nothing like it. Absolutely nothing like it. Just free falling through the air and then pulling your suit. And then you just glide down in the piece. Oh, wonderful. Absolutely amazing experience. But I got to my fifth jump and it went a bit wrong. No, nothing serious. Um, and by this point, my ankles and my feet were looking like I had purple socks on where I was so badly bruised. And I, I had to stop. Mm. So I did the sensible thing for once. <laughs> That's but, that word you mentioned earlier about self-regulated. That's well done. So well, why are you doing all these, these, these um, SAS? I'm going to call it SAS. Right? Let's be um, how do your brothers take it? They must know they have a daredevil amongst the poor. Well, how do your family feel and your, and your mum and your dad? How do they feel? I think, I, I mean, I know I know. when I went to New Zealand, my mum was 
my mum was asked, was saying to me, like, I'd rather you didn't do your bungee jump because she knew I was going to do it. But she never said, don't you dare. Don't do it. I said, I won't talk to you ever again, sort of thing. Like, like some parents would, I think. Because she knew I had to live my life. She'd never put limits on me particularly. She could advise me. Um, Brothers-wise, you know, yeah, they, they do worry. Of course they worry. Um, but actually, I think they know, and, and my parents knew, that don't get me wrong, but if I was to die doing one of these things, I'd die with a smile on my face. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. And, and who, you couldn't go a better way, really, could you? No, no, no. That, that might be the whole sum total, sum total of the, of the extinguishing of your light of life. <laughs> was you was you no was you happy or was you sad yeah. like some total totally. totally you know it's always about but it is it's, it's always about pushing those boundaries you know i i am um, sorry when i had my heart surgery in 2016 it was, it was really big really big surgery i got two titanium bulbs how old was you that was when i was that was when i was 46 sorry that was in 2016 Wow. 46, and you had a major heart surgery. Yeah, yeah. They, they inserted two titanium valves, and then they replaced the car. No, they put a coronary artery in because I had one missing. Um, and, yeah, so that, that was done. I was, I was very ill afterwards, but um, I got through it. And then 12 months later, I went to Japan and travelled around Japan and New Zealand 12 months later. Wow. But whilst we were in New Zealand, we went to Fuji Park and went on one of the biggest roller coasters in the world. <laughs> scare the there. shit out of yourself. How oh, about that? Jump out of surgery and then scare the shit out of yourself on a roller coaster. Uh, all the way, all the way. I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And then we got there and I went, yeah, I'm going to do it. But honestly, you could have built a council estate with the bricks I was shitting. I was terrified. <laughs> you know what? Let me just, um, let me ask you this. With 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 the experiences that you've just had, like like all the experiences that you've had and the things that you've done for whatever reason that may be, whatever reason that may be, um, I like to ask you, and and I, I I'm not I'm not thinking that you have the answer, but I'd like to get your perspective on it, your unique lens. What is the driving factor for you? that keeps you exploring and seeking the unknown as you achieve more. You achieve more. So, like, you achieve more. You run more. You, you, you challenge yourself more emotionally. You scare yourself more. You do things more so. But what, what is it that drives that warrior spirit for your, from your perspective? Well, I think, you know, it goes back a lot to what I was saying earlier on, and that is, you know, some of it, I would admit, is, is partly about my sister, some of it is the fact that I recognise that life can be exceptionally short and is exceptionally fragile. Um, I think up until, I, I'd honestly say 10 years ago, I honestly did not think I would get to retire. I thought, right, I'm not going to get past 50 or 60. I'm now 51. Um, and therefore, I've got to try and do as much as I can before then. So, so I think a lot of it is that. Um and I just, I don't know, I just get, I get a buzz out of taking risks, whatever they are, whether it's <laughs> having drinks in a very strange bar with a mad Russian bloke or um, all these sort of things that I do and that. So, yeah, yeah, I just think, I just, yeah, just want to try and get out as much out of life as I can. 
Can I ask you? Can I ask you this? Is it is it because is it because you're you're is it because you you've got a comprehension of that tomorrow's not guaranteed? Oh, totally, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's some there's some there. If I remember rightly, it's in The Simpsons, and if somebody says to him, "You have to live every day as if it's your last." Mm. <laughs> well, it might not yeah. be a totally sensible thing at times, but I, I do get that. I do get that the fact that none of us knows what's going to happen tonight. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, you can. But it's 101 things that can happen to you. So therefore, just go with today. You know, I I know, and, and life can still, there are certainly times when life is still really, really shit and really difficult. Um, yeah. There are days when I feel really sorry for myself and I feel mm. down. And I don't, I've always said, I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling sorry for yourself or wallowing in a bit of self-pity. I don't like it when people say, oh no, stop doing that. It's like, no, no, no. It's really important because that is getting in touch with those emotions and not running away from them. However, it's not a good idea to stay there for too long. So I think what mm. I'm very good at is doing that and then picking myself up and going, right, come on, get out there, go and do things, and this sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's just about getting on with it, really. Viewers, viewers out there, I hope you digested that last segment, what Simon said. There's nothing wrong to be ill your emotions and get in touch with your emotions but as he says do not stay there too long um, yeah that's a fantastic but have you got an antidote how to get out of that oh what what I gets think, you out of that it's okay I, saying it what what was your where's your props to say i'm gonna get out of this what what, what aids you to get out of this yeah it's interesting because as i said when i saw my heart surgery they cancelled it twice and I just crumbled with that, absolutely crumbled. And I could not motivate myself to do anything. I, I'd sit for hours just staring out the window. Um, and I don't know how, but sometimes... I guess, I guess it's the fact, there are a couple of things that I say to myself, and that is, this, this, does not, this will not last. This might be really shit for today. It might be really shit for a month or three months, but it will not last. You will get through this. And That's I prove that to myself countless times. But I think we could all do with that saying that sometimes. I think secondly, it's about looking around and realising there are people that are worse off than you. It's not very often I get to say that, but there is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the truth. Come on, you could be living in Turkey. You could be living on Gaza Strip. Oh, I mean, you complain, you, you complain about the microwave not working, but try to get to school. Try to get some water. What about that? Yeah, no, 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 no. And that's exactly it. You know, you, you bring yourself to watch the awful things on TV and this sort of stuff. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I was, one of the things, especially the last couple of years, I was in Kiev uh, in 2019. So seeing what's going on over there really brings out, because we got to know people over there. And I think to myself, I can't remember the names now, but there were these people we met at a bar and we had a great night. And it's like, I wonder what they're going through now. I wonder whether or not they've left their homeland. I mean, it's like, so, yeah, don't get me wrong, my ass was bad. My, I got a chest infection repeatedly during this winter. I have it this year, thankfully. But life could be a lot worse. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And um, on that note, I like, you know what, I like to wrap this up on that note because we could we could speak until um, New Year's and, and April Fool's Day oh, and, and until people get... Yeah, <laughs> you're not the only one. You know we could that. really do this. Yeah, but honestly, mate, honestly, Simon, on that note, that that driving factor, 
that uncertainty of life and, and what it can deal to you. And also as well, you've, you've explained to me and Pharma, there's been times where you had to be intelligent, like where you had to ha bring out your own safety net as, no, the body can't do this, we'll go again. You know, like yeah. chill out so you, we, can, we can, you know, play another day. So it, it, it's also about risk, but it's also about um, with, with your vulnerability. Because, you know, there is, alongside that, the risk, there is also self-preservation. Yes. There is also self-preservation. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Is there, any, um, is there any last final words that you would like to say to anyone that's listening to this? I don't know. Maybe someone needs to hear this. Maybe somebody, I don't know. I have no idea how the universe works. But is there anything that you would like to say to someone that may be in a shitty situation? Yeah, I, I think... I think it goes back to what I said just now, and that is the fact that this shall pass. You know, life can be bloody difficult mentally, physically, whatever you've got going on for you. But actually, and I, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't lie and pretend it passes every time and all the time. There are times when it doesn't get better. There are times. That's reality. But the majority of time, things can and do get better. And you, you can and you do get back to your whatever normal is like for you. Mm. Yeah, definitely, mate. That's beautiful. Farmer, farmer, is there any um any final thoughts you'd like to say about this this, uh, this deep, deep dive of a podcast? My goody goody gosh. I just want people <laughs> to um before we go, I'd like Simon to plug his book. It's really important. I hope you've taken some of the extracts of what Simon said. But most importantly, um Simon here, given us a, a simple definition of living, grabbing life yeah. when you can and don't give up because he's personified living by not giving up. And that is uh, 100%. Uh, also um, brought by family and support as well. Family support and love. As yeah. We said that earlier on about, you know, a lot of it. It might have fueled him, might not. I, feel, I personally think it has a, a large influence on on his going, the banter, the dark banter he says. Oh, God, yeah. The, the, the daily, the weekly, the, the gathering of, of minds and the laughter and, and the remembrance. And also seeing your nieces and nephews um, begat that type of behaviour going forward. Oh, God, but yeah. The living yeah. is the actual living to get on that plane, get in the boat, get on the train, bungee drive, go on these crazy um, obstacle courses but you still living is about grabbing life and not sitting on the shelf gathering dust. And what Simon have shown us today, viewers, he's not sat on that shelf moaning about and gathering dust. He's actually been part of the, the living organic, just go out and enjoy what mother nature gives us. Thank you very That's much for doing that. I've really learned a lot today. Thank you, Simon. That's honestly, my pleasure. Thank you. I've actually really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I, 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 I can only echo what Farmer said. You like sum that up beautifully. That is definitely how I feel about what I've just witnessed through my eardrums. Um, yeah, thank you, Simon, for your time and thank you for sharing your story. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent convinced. I will, I will bet my my mortgage on it that that needs to shrink. But I will bet my mortgage on it that somebody listening to this. Someone out there on this globe is going to affect them in some influential way so they can do more and be more. Because that's why we do this podcast. That's why it's a warrior special. And Simon doesn't need to have gloves on. Go on, Simon. 
Sorry, Denny, and to be honest with you, it's another re- one of the reasons, the main reason I wrote the book is because I'd like it to be an inspiration to people and give hope to people who are who are struggling through life, whether that be physical, mental, as an adolescent, as a parent, or as an adult. I just, I yeah, that's what I wanted to do, is just give people a bit of hope and a bit of inspiration. And once again, where can people pick up this book from? What is Life Without Risk? Where can they pick up the book from, Sam? Uh, they can get it on Amazon. So it'd be, it's uh, it's an ebook and paperback. So either one. Excellent. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, my yeah. pleasure. Yeah, you, you've you've um, you've made me think, um, and um, you know, put. Uh, I've I've looked at my own life and my own where I'm going. Just listening to you, Simon. To be real, you know, I'm being honest. Yeah. And um, thank you for that. And listeners, thank you for using your index finger or thumb when you press play and you heard this thought-provoking podcast. This is Punch Touch Podcast. This is a Warrior special. Surviving a switch. And um, I I, I said that earlier on, and if you've been paying attention to it, um, even if you're multitasking, you would understand why surviving a switch is apt for this particular podcast. I've been your host, Coach T, with my co-host, Farmer, um, beautiful guest of Simon Rutter. Thank you for being on. Thank you for being on. And remember, 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 if you want to find some form of real purpose to the clothing that you wear, like, I mean, don't wear some Italian, some Chinese, some, some, it doesn't matter. It could be Jamaican. I'm from Jamaica. What about that? Could be Jamaican, could be Welsh, could be Scottish. I don't care. Don't wear someone else's dream. Wear some form of clothing that resonates with you, that makes a statement about your mind, your consciousness, your mood for the day. Whether that be a manic Monday or a crazy Saturday. Check out secrettouchclothing.co.uk. That's secrettouchclothing.co.uk. Artisan stuff. Real life. Be strong. Be true. (laughs) Just, just, Just be you, man. Just be you.